Hello everyone. Bailey here. I am quite excited to be back in the studio today to announce not only the 300th episode of Data Driven, but also the premiere episode of season 6. In this episode, Frank and Andy interview Rupesh Malpani, whom Frank often refers to as the next Steve Jobs. Listen to this interesting conversation to find out why. But before that, I want to sincerely thank you, our listeners, for keeping the faith in us over these last five years. I know that I only joined the team in season 4 and that's when things really got brilliant. Not to confuse correlation and causation, but I just thought I would bring it up. Enough of me banging on about myself. Here is our chat with Rupesh. All right, hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. My name is Frank Lavinia, and I'm your host, along with Andy Leonard. The um, so with me on this epic. I, I, it's been so long since we recorded. I actually I forgot know. the whole like that's okay information superhighway thing, but that's okay because this is season six, show number three hundred. How you doing, Andy? You know, Frank, I'm a little under the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I am uh, not sure why. <laughs> I've got a pretty good guess. Um, <laughs> And and maybe you do too, uh, but uh, other than that, I'm I'm doing okay. That's good. How about That's you? Good, Frank? If you How see me, you? if you see me reaching for the water, it's because I grabbed the when I was brushing my teeth this morning. I grabbed uh, anti-itch cream <laughs> instead of toothpaste, which is something that only oh, I thought would happen in like TV. <laughs> But no, happened to me. I looked it up online. You wash them. I'm not going to die. I might get like super thirsty, which I am. And I have this huge, if you're watching the video, I have this huge uh, cup here. So I have to ask Um, you, Frank, do your teeth itch? They don't anymore. They weren't before. So (laughs) I looked it up. I won't die. Like I was rinsing my mouth out for five minutes. but, But be careful, folks. Be careful, folks. So um, for those that don't know, I've, I've kind of mentioned this on live feeds and a couple of data points here in here. I moved, uh, and if you're watching, I'm in the new house. I moved probably about an hour north of where I used to live. So I guess technically I'm in the Baltimore suburbs, um, but I, I still consider myself living in the DC area. Uh, we yeah. didn't really plan on moving. It was kind of like one of those things where it just, just kind of happened, almost if it was divinely inspired. I don't know. Um, that's not for me to say, but we bought a house. We've got a house in this crazy market. We're working on selling the old house. So I'm happy about that, but I'm super happy to do that. I'm sorry. What? Your setup does look different. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fancy now. So, um, I'm excited today for show 300 and, um, um, this kickoff of season six to have Rupesh Malpani who um, I like to call him on a lot of my live feeds. If you've seen my live feeds, you probably have seen him comment a lot. But I like to call him as in kind of the next Steve Jobs because he does some amazing things. He's very innovative type of guy. And I think he had me on his podcast about a year ago uh, with Alberto. And I forget Alberto's last name. Alberto Rodan? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and um, so welcome to the show. We finally have you on. How's it going? Hi guys, looking forward to talking to you all. Cool. I'm kind of psyched, you know, because like we're going to talk about metaverse, AI, and whatnot, whatnot. Sure, we can talk about whatever you want because I know you've done some interesting things. 
Although your video is frozen, <laughs> and it's been one of those things, it's been one of those technical. Okay, things. You caught up. You caught up. You're good. <laughs> yeah, come on. We're talking across the globe. This is bound to happen. <laughs> That's right. You're based in India, and I believe it's uh, is it Pune or Pune? It is Pune. Pune. Okay. So neither. So got it. And I believe that's where Sachin Nadella is from, if, if memory serves. I think he's from that area. No, he's from Hyderabad, I guess. Oh, he's so from a different he's state. Pune. Okay. Somebody told me he was from Pune, but they're probably pulling my leg. I didn't know. So, <laughs> so, so you, have, you have a number of uh, entrepreneurial activities going on. So uh, first is Pick or Pixie. Yes. So Pixie is a product which we are building at Pick. It is basically a machine learning data set camera tool. Very easy to make data sets on Android. Uh, like you can completely learn and try machine learning without having to code a single line script using Pixie and Microsoft Lobe. You just make data sets, download them into Lobe and Lobe processes it. So that's amazing. That's amazing. So when That's we, when we first met, you were doing something with um, the shopping carts that are common across India. Are you still doing that? or, or Yes, yes, yes. So Pixie so, is one of the interfaces we are building for that. So like essentially we are building a robotic kiosk of sorts, you know, which would have an AI helper in that kiosk. Interesting. Because from what I have seen, we tend to use AI for only smart people know how to utilize AI well, you know, and like smart by smart people here, I mean, people who are good with tech, people right. who are in, uh, have to kind of, how do I say this? It's tough for them. So we are building an easier way for them to use tech in which we are going to build an IoT solution. There is going to be a machine learning solution which would help them manage their business and trying to kind of build it decentralized without using traditional blockchain. So let's see. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, because it, it's one of those things where when you showed me your original pitch deck almost a year ago, I was like, wow, this guy's thinking like big. And there's a lot of these carts in India. So for those not familiar with this type of form of commerce uh you were telling me about it like so a lot of uh villages and stuff they have the they're they're, they're like carts where you can buy Not soda drink. so like what? it's like a hot dog stand in new york okay uh, got it like a kiosk model for business where a lot of fmcg goods are sold mm -hmm. so it is having literally a store on every cross section <laughs> nice that's kind of the goal <laughs> very cool and and, nice. and i think you're right a lot of these folks there that operate these stores they're not going to be ai or data scientist type people and you know to have tools for them to be able to use it um in uh, in a low code no code kind of way is yeah. very cool low code no code is fire here the problem is these guys have to get to a diary first interesting like right now these guys use uh chits of paper across every day which they end up using and they have all the daily invoicing and daily accounting on that and that sheet of paper just gets lost 
Right. It's that bad. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you're looking for an alternative to blockchain, or how are you solving that problem? So, uh, I mean, blockchain with respect to systems architecture, not the crypto framework of fintech. Like the nature of design, decentralized, where we don't collect user data, but which can help you shop and sell stuff using an AI essentially on which we don't collect user data. We kind of educate our users to collect the data and process it. So it's gotcha. kind of like building an AI on every phone and the user is going to build pieces of it by themselves and we are just shipping a Lego block flame framework. Gotcha. For now. Interesting. So, Interesting. And, and to even make this more fun, kind of thinking to add holograms to the mix, you know? Yeah, right. you were telling yeah. me something. So, so he was, we, we spoke, I think, last week, and that was just about when I was, we're also reworking our calendaring system because our calendaring system has been a challenge because for a while I was at this house and the old house and, you know, long story short, we, we, we our calendaring system wasn't working right because I'm a pretty busy guy now at Red Hat and um, Andy's pretty busy. So we switched to Microsoft Booking. So I was troubleshooting that. And then he's like, we were talking, somehow we were chatting on on um, LinkedIn or Instagram and you're like, oh no, holograms are super easy. I'm like, um, okay, that's news to me. And then you showed me something you had done with a, uh, like a four, uh, 400, 4,000 lumen projector or something like that. I have the projector right there, you know, like I kept it for the podcast because we were going to talk about this. I knew that. So cool. like, it is not even a 4,000 lumens projector. I tried that out on a 3,000 lumen projector and I found a 4,000 lumen projector would be better. That's why I suggested that to Frank. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, it's, 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 uh, he showed me like a demo video that he did. It, 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 it is interesting. And I think that, I think it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of talk about metaverse. Um, Andy and I are in the early stages of launching a, a third podcast on metaverse and kind of all things web 3.0. But I think regardless of what web 3.0 is going to look like or have, or be constitute, Data is going to be a big part of that, and AI is going to be a big part of that. So I think, I think that um, you know, data has become from. I was on a call literally just before this recording, where data historically has been one of those things where businesses had to collect for transactional reasons, for regulatory reasons, all sorts of reasons. Uh, but over the last decade or so, they realized that there's value there, and that the value is is, is increasing in terms of the amount of data that we can collect. And um, if you're not, I, I see poor Andy is like coughing because if you're not watching the video, I hope he you gets better too. <laughs> I hope he gets better too. But I do appreciate that you know the show must go on, right? Um, but um, no, and, and, and you know a lot of people they ask me because if you look at my LinkedIn description, it says something about a quantum developer, AI engineer, and aspiring quantum developer trying to make his way in the metaverse, and they're like, "Well, you're tying a lot of buzzwords there." And, Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> These buzzwords are connected. I do feel that this is this is uh, uh, 
a, a grand unified theory, if you will, of kind of what the future of commerce is going to be. Uh, you know, are we always going to be in Oculus Rift type devices? No, but oh. you know, are we going to be um, doing more and more uh, virtually and online? Yeah, I mean, we kind of learned the last two years how important that is. I mean, you know, we're complaining. Think about this. Think about this, like from kind of a historical perspective. We're complaining about blocky video and sometimes dropping your video a few frames. You're in India, and Andy and I are in the East Coast of the U.S. And, you know, I'm outside Baltimore and Andy's in Farmville, like not the video game, but like, um, <laughs> I always have to get that, that in. So, um, so, you know, it's really, I think one of those things where we take this for granted and what's that going to look like 10 years from now, right? What's that going to look like? You know, what did it look like 10 years ago? We probably could have had this conversation 10 years ago. It might've been choppier. It might've been audio only. But it could have been possible. You know, what's it going to look like ten years from now? Are we going to be able to, you know, shake hands virtually? Are we going to be able to like look around the same space? I don't know. I know that um, just just seeing my kids as they grow up. You know, my older son, you know, his big innovation was the iPad, right? And um, you know, the luxury was having the hotspot on in the car when we drove places. <laughs> charged a lot of money back then. My younger son. For him, he's always grown up around an Alexa device. So he would even he and Siri, right? So he he before he could learn how to spell, he would use Siri to type messages in the chat. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, I mean, it is awesome because, like, for me growing up, you know, my 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 a lot of people in my family were, were immigrants to the U.S. and you know, for them, just having a TV was like whoa, right? And I would complain. That wasn't a color TV, right? It was a black and white TV. And, so, and they would be like, you know, when I was your age, we didn't have a TV. And like, you know, now when, you know, we drive somewhere and there's no good um, cell phone service, they complain like, oh no, the cell phone service is out. And I'm like, you know, really? Like this is, yeah. So it's, it's just funny. And like, I, I do, and I, I've been rambling on, but ultimately I see this is all connected in one way or the form because yes. one of the things that i read and i don't know how true this is but apparently one of the things that the oculus does is it, when it maps out the room some of that data goes back to um mark zuckerberg organization um which i find a little creepy but one of the other things that i heard was that you know if you're in the metaverse they and you you you, you tilt your head to look at an ad for something that how long you look at that is measured and tracked. I, it's just it's just going to be another vector for collecting mass quantities of data. And I hate that. <laughs> I hate that too. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. But you know, and a lot of things in AI, it uh -huh. borders that line between that's really cool, and that's really creepy. <laughs> there is a lot. I don't know about ten years from now what we could see about metaverse but we could be having a zoom call or a teams call or a call like this on holograms even today right right it would you know it it's one of those things where the technology the true cutting edge is always about 10 years away from it being productized and made easy right if we really if we each one of us got a projector and we set things up we probably could have a holographic conversation but it would require less than $5,000. Yeah. 
like and yeah a lot of money too money always helps <laughs> no but like how do i say this the problem in the holograms is not the setup it is the video rendering which makes it look like a hologram interesting and that is where we don't see a lot of holograms happening you know because no one just wants to make that effort to make it <laughs> including myself i'm guilty of it too <laughs> that's cool so your app is called pixie and i've used it because it's really cool so if you if you if you've done any kind of computer vision work you have to collect a lot of data and there's a joke that we have uh, andy and i have had we've had the guests guests they're mostly in the ai space not the data engineering side well they'll say well first we got the data and in those five words, <laughs> the data, right? That's six months of, uh, of work in minimum, right? Sometimes more, more, right? <laughs> and probably usually more. I see Andy nodding, but um, you know, for AI folks, like the, the the data is almost secondary, and the data collection, and it's in the data collection and the data labeling. The things like bias can creep in all these all these things you don't want or just errors can creep in so what's really cool about pixie is that you can capture on your phone which pretty much everyone in your has to some degree and it captures a bunch of data so if you were one of these uh you know uh, vendors these these hot dog cart type things you can take pictures of things that you probably would do you know with your phone and then you would be able to upload that through this, this startup called lobe.ai, which Microsoft bought. And um, it was it's a really cool thing because what you've done basically is you made this app that makes data collection for, for pictures much easier. And there's one more thing, okay? You, are, you both work technically in machine learning. So probably you would understand why this is important, but any other user wouldn't. Pixie on on Pixie we click pictures directly on raw format on the stock camera. So what happens in that is the picture quality is different and it is filterless. So the error we see on our machine learning models, which comes through clicking through normal phone camera, that is you know that is a processed image. That processed image is equal to error. <laughs> right. So we have kind of tried to iron that out. <laughs> right. But I mean, it's cool because you've bootstrapped this, you've done this, you have another business, you um, you work with uh, building uh, LinkedIn. Um, yes. We also pages. have, a, so that's how we are bootstrapping, you know, we have a marketing agency which funds all the software and all the tech experiments, innovations I want to do. But we make our bread and butter with doing marketing. <laughs> That's cool. So shameless plug for you. I know you have some amazing metrics. There, but, but yeah, if you're looking to grow your LinkedIn or your social media presence, um, you, you've done some amazing things I've seen. So, so this is the feedback I got today from a client. Out of the 200 new leads they got, 95 or 98 went to their website. That's more nice. than 45% conversion. And they were shocked seeing that much. Nice. That is nice. at least four times of whatever the basic gold standard is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That That's worth shouting from the rooftops. That's for sure. <laughs> so we'll definitely make sure your contact information is in the show notes. So if folks want to connect with you, 
Um, that's why I say like you're and you're, I shamelessly you are, wrote them on the board also. Shamelessly <laughs> write it on the board. That's cool. Um, so do you have any more questions, Andy, or do you want to go to the uh, the the second half of the show? No, let's jump into the second half, Frank. All right, I'll kick it off. How did you find your way into data, and did data find you, or did you find data? Like, how did you get started in the technology kind of space? So I've been kind of good with tech since I'm a kid. Like I've, I've had an email ID since I'm in grade one. So that's like five, six, seven years old, something, you know. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was in the computer club in our school. We learned a lot. So by fifth grade, sixth grade, we knew how to write HTML code. We knew how to work on visual basics. We knew how to write programs on QBasic. We knew how to write programs on that old language. You know, there's this old language called Logo. Logo. Yeah. You haven't even heard of it today. <laughs> Did I have the thing with the turtle? They called it the turtle. You moved yes. it on the screen. That, yeah. And then that was big when I was a kid, but we didn't have computer. Uh, we didn't have that with computer classes when I was a kid. So, so like, it was completely writing a 200, 300 page document to make a graphic on that program (laughs) so every pixel was mapped and we had to give command for every pixel movement that was yeah i I never used it but i remember seeing like news stories from like you know the the wealthier parts of new york city schools like they had um they had computer classes and they would show like hey and the kid be like this is called the turtle and you move it around by doing this and it's like that's pretty cool then eighth ninth grade was javascript and i was kind of the by 10th standard till the time i got out out of the school i was the best computer club student also so i remember this one day okay so there's this one teacher i'm not going to name her she was waiting in the class before we go before we all students got to the school she was waiting just because there's something in the lab which wasn't working and the whole system had crapped out. <laughs> she was like, Rupesh, let's go. We have to fix it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so That's then very cool after... when you get to be uh, tech support at that age. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun, you know, and like. And even by then, we used to have juniors from school with whom every Saturday we used to go learn programming, teach them programming, answer each other's questions, work on projects, because the computer club had students from 5th grade to 10th grade. That's like, let's say, 10-year-olds to 16, 17-year-olds, roughly. Nice. Yeah. And in, after that... I kind of got into high school for 11th and 12th grade and where my majors was comm science. But after learning that, I realized that the colleges which I had around me, I was already working on that. Like I had already written programs complex as projects which they teach in colleges. So it did not make sense for me to get a graduation degree in comm science. Because I thought my pace of learning was kind of better than what I'd learned. So I jumped into business administration. 
once i started doing the started working in sales after a point you know of like i've had a job since grade 11 like when i was learning com science i was also selling computers at one of nice. uncle's stores so it was fun <laughs> you, you know who else did that steve jobs and steve was there Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there might there might be parts of Steve Jobs' life you might want to skip, but but you know, um... <laughs> you're a good company, that's for sure. You probably right. cash. No, you're so you're, you're a smart guy. So, so I'll ask question. The next I'll seven eight years, uh, yeah. I'll just skip through the next seven eight years in a very quick thing to answer the question on if data found me or I found data. So first job selling computers second job selling solar panels while selling solar panels i had a e-commerce store on which we sold clothes then i joined an app team which was into meetups applications like offline meetups we go out with friends we have those iou's and what not what not and then we plan a, a location we plan the travel so they had built a platform just for managing that after that i joined a lead generation data company furniture selling fish selling advertising agent advertising services to now selling software and marketing so in all of this the programmer brain in me kind of just picked up on data you know and like that's how it went <laughs> that's good that is very good well what would you say is your favorite part of your current job see it is kind of both the opportunities i have and i can try right writing uh, like just trying to troll elon musk on twitter all day from that part to giving 20 hours 18 hours a day to work to figure out marketing for other companies right. to figure out how to build their software to find skills to kind of scout people on which see i'm a dropout i did not finish my business degree okay because i was all, like in the second year of college i walked into college with a visiting card <laughs> so it kind of was moot <laughs> <laughs> and in all of that what happens is like i like going to meetings i like to kind of I have a bug to solve marketing issues through technology mm-hmm. and working in different types of industries and trying to help solve those business problems is what keeps me going. So cool. I think we are solving that one native business problem which is the kiosk ecosystem. Right. And we are build while we're doing that we're getting to a point we build other software to develop software development no code local. interesting very nice so i need to tease this one product you know so we are starting the, like we are in design for a product which is called flopix i'm sure both of you guys learned programming drawing flowcharts first and then deciding what code goes in the compiler and not using github right not at all <laughs> like i remember i remember um my first day at comp sci class in university. So so I learned programming because my um 
I got a Commodore 64 and um, to play video games on. And um, then, um, then uh, basically it became this, uh, I, I went to my parents like, hey, can I have video games to buy for this? And, um, and he's like, my mom, my dad was kind of like laughed. And then my mom's like, well, it's like, my dad laughed. He's like, dude, we just spent, you know, how much money on this thing? And then my mom turned and said, well, why don't you write your own games? <laughs> I don't think she realized like the, 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 the chain effect of that is where I am now, which was basically, you know, because the Commodore 64, they were brilliant in the sense that um, they, it shipped with this book, the Commodore 64 Programmer's Guide or something like that. And it was a spiral brown book written, uh, I think I might've been like sixth grade. So I might've been like 11 or 12. And it was not written for your average 11 or 12 year old. So I'm, I'm reading words like parameters and I'm like, what does that oh, mean? Dang. Like, <laughs> this is before Google. So like, you know, got dictionary, what's parameter? Okay. And then like, kind of like, that's basically how I learned programming. When I formally was introduced to flowcharts, I'm like, I get where they're going with this, but this is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what your experience is when you first saw flowchart, Andy, but that was that was my first thought. Yeah, I had um, I kind of came at it a couple of different directions. The first was computing and as a hobby. And like I was about the same age as you, Frank, but it was about 10 years earlier because we're about 10 years, I'm about 10 years older than you. But um, when I started, we didn't have persistent storage at all. So when you turn the power off, you lost everything. And we would use, not, not initially, not initially. Okay. We did eventually, we upgraded to cassettes for still persistent storage. But we did, um, we would type in hexadecimal, usually from Byte magazine. Yes. And we'd type for maybe 30 minutes and we'd get 1K basic. <laughs> And then if we'd done all of that right, typed all those bytes right, then we could execute 1K basic and then start writing, you know, line number basic programs. But when I saw flowcharts, I first encountered them a couple of years later when I was in algebra class. And I immediately caught, you know, the connection. I was like, this is what, this is a way of kind of formalizing what we do. But by that time, I had coded so much that I'd, I don't, I, my way of thinking about it wasn't <laughs> better, hands, hands down, but it was different and I was familiar with it. And that was enough for me to look at it and go, I'll do this in class, <laughs> but it's not going to work. Interestingly enough, it came back. I, I became an electrician uh, years later and we had programmable logic controllers, uh, PLCs, and the language I learned to program them in was called ladder logic. And it's it's back from before computers. It's all about relays. You know, yes. this circuit energizes and this circuit closes and that one opens and it it is logic, but it is and it effectively those contacts in the relay are bits. And, and it mm. came it I kind of circled back to flow charts because it made more sense. Uh, at that time to do so. So it's very interesting, kind of my experience with that. And that, Rupesh, I'd love to learn more about um, about how you feel about 
a flow charts. Since you introduced this topic and me and Frank took so, all the way on the rabbit charts. No, that's fine. Like the thing is, you guys kind of helped build the concept of flowchart from whatever I hear, you know, because that time from what I re remember and remember learning those times, the graphic user interface did not exist. DOS did not exist. So you kind of wrote code in 8-bit. That is mind-blowing. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was all we had, you know, when I started out. I joke and say that we used to carve our own chips out of wood. Um, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was close. Compared to today, Oh yeah, I, I, mean, am, I am living in the future. <laughs> we couldn't even imagine. Frank or I. I mean, when, when, when I was a kid, um, when I was in high school, um, the Star Trek The Next Generation came out. And Star Trek was on before I was born. So my dad used to watch, we used to watch reruns, and they'd have the computer. You could talk to the computer. And this, that was science fiction. Now I have, I have an Alexa all over my house. I used to have a Cortana, but that's another story. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it must be. Well, yeah, and I know, that, I know if you ask, if you ask Google Assistant who you are, like, you get this whole, like, really cool description of, of you. Yes, it does me. <laughs> it knows me. It, 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 it's funny because sometimes if I, um, it's weird, like, you, if you, if you do the search, we were trying this the other day, and I guess my, it didn't, you know, my New York accent kept like missing like your last name like messing with your <laughs> name and it was like it's not working but uh but no i mean it's you know it's one of those things where you know one of our previous guests mark um mark tabadillo uh he, he coined the term digital native versus digital immigrant right so for people over a certain age we we are immigrants to this space whereas people who grew up around the internet and all this technology they are natives you know, my my younger son will probably never remember a time without Siri or Alexa. Um, and um, my older son does remember they grew that, up in Star Trek. What? They grew up in Star Trek. Right. They grew uh, exactly. like for them. So when they watch like an old episode of Star Trek, aside from pointing out how goofy the effects look now, you know, the whole idea of talking to computer is not futuristic, right? Maybe what is futuristic is the kind of the nuance that the computer can pick up on because we're still not there yet. But that's a very it's a quantum difference, if you will, like between like, you know, wow, you can talk to a computer. And like there was a scene in the original uh, one of the original movies was um, the ones with the whales where Scotty, the engineer, sits down in front of the computer, starts talking to it. And this was like mid 80s. And the guy like people were like looking at him like he's crazy. He goes, oh, no. Yeah. And he points at the mouse like, no, you got to use this. And he picks up the mouse and says, hello, computer. Like, oh, dang. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's just funny. Like, you know, now uh, that you think of it, that's the best place to hide a mic. It is. Actually. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And I the best thing you know is to have a push to talk also. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Um, so, so yes, would you agree or disagree? Logic or code? What is more important? I'd, I'd call that day. equal. I would yeah, call I it say, equal. Yeah. I would say logic is the base thing, but code is how you achieve it. I, See, no disagreement there. My point being, like, you can figure out how to code, but you cannot figure out how to build good logic. 
That's true. That is true. Well, I mean, that's, you know, all these things they talk about learn to code, right? Like when I was a kid, this was coding was not encouraged, right? Because it was not seen as it was just not a thing. And it wasn't seen as oh, that was an alien thing. Then (laughs) it was an alien thing then, you know, and, um, you know, uh, and there's, you know, various people said everybody should learn how to code. And I was like, I was like, I, I disagree. I think everyone should try coding because it may not be for you, right? It may not be your cup of tea. But you should at least know about it, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about thinking through a process. What problem are you trying to solve? How would you take that big problem and put it into smaller bits of problem, right? That, that, and how do you piece those together? That's really the value in it, right? That's the hard part of coding. Like knowing the syntax around JavaScript or C Sharp or Python, that's not hard. I can, I can get like a, a one-sheet cheat sheet and like, if you want to do this, do this. But like thinking through a problem and being skilled at that is what makes you an uh, an engineer, I think. And that is what building a flowchart is, right? Essentially, yeah. in a way, yeah. like well, the problem with flowcharts is, is, is like presentation is flowchart. If you put a flowchart there together, though, the problem is that you can't execute on the flowchart. <laughs> <laughs> you do all the work. That's what we're building. You can use that flowchart to build software. Interesting. Okay. Now that gives it a different twist, I would say. That gives because, it a purpose. Yeah. Between when I try to categorize, you know, logic flowcharts and thinking through the problem you're trying to solve with actual uh, writing code to execute what you've thought of, to me, it's in that same, I don't know, that same comparative space as strategy and tactics. You know, you have to have a strategy. You, well, that's not true. You don't have to. And some people get very lucky just sticking with tactical. But most often, it's better to have a strategy and then begin executing tactically against that strategy. So that's that's an awesome idea, uh, Rupesh. I, I can't wait to see what you guys build. Yeah, I kind of would need your help also. So I'd use this episode to shout out to other engineers also. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot of a lot of engineers listen to this. So we'll make sure that, that so um, which leads me, to, leads me to one of our questions. You know, where can people learn more about you and what you're up to? I tweet a lot. I write a lot on LinkedIn and I post very often on Instagram. <laughs> okay. So like What's your I have, handle? Uh, it is Rupesh Malpani across all the platforms. Okay. That's and if you have a Google Assistant, you can ask. Um, uh, what is Rupesh Malpani good at? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Do you have one? I don't have. I have. Uh, I have it on yeah, my phone. Andy, Andy, Andy. I thought Andy, Andy was checking yeah. without. <laughs> no, we. I. I talked him into getting an Alexa. I think. Uh, come on <laughs> maybe i'll get another one i don't know but um so do you listen to audiobooks i'm curious not really not much not really conversations yes audiobooks less got it so is there any book you would recommend because uh, this is this is to for our sponsors i would say a hundred dollar startup hundred dollar startup Cool. Yes, okay. it is written by some guy called Christopher. I don't remember his last name, but yeah, 
Like I have it right there. I was just I will check, check it out. It. I will check it out. So Audible is a sponsor of the show. And uh, if you go to thedatadrivenbook.com, uh, you can check it out. Uh, you'll get one free audiobook on us. And we'll get a little bit of a tip of the hat and enough to buy a Starbucks coffee uh, if you decide to subscribe. Andy and I are both heavy uh, Audible listeners. I know that I just listened to Grant Cardone's The 10X Mentor the second time. And uh, it's an awesome book. I recommend that. How about you, Andy? I'm still trying to get through the start of the uh, Grant Cardone 10X Mentor the first time, Frank. I'm not even halfway through that. Um, <laughs> I did look up the, the $100 startup, and I see I'm going to mispronounce the last name, uh, but that's not uncommon for me. It's Chris um, Gilebo. Gilebo? I don't. I'm not sure. G U I L L E B E A U. Oh, sounds like a so, French name. Chris Gilebo. <laughs> It does, and but that's a, that's a, a great looking book. That's and I've cool. done a lot of bootstrapping myself as a uh, serial entrepreneur. And um, for anyone I'm, listening who is offended, hold on, uh, by the fact that I made fun of somebody with a French last name, they should be reminded that Lavinia or Levine is a French last name. And trust me, my name gets butchered all the time. And in fact, Technically, I butcher my own last name because it is pronounced Lavinia, <laughs> um, and I go with Lavinia. And you're probably wondering, why is that? Well, it, the reason is historical. When my grandfather immigrated to the U.S. Um, in during the Great Depression, he moved to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, or somewhere in Brooklyn. And he didn't speak much English, or if any, but he could kind of understand Italian. Not a lot of Frank... Oh, phones, francophones of French speaking people in Brooklyn in the 1930s. Who knew? And um, everyone just assumed he was Italian. So the Italian pronunciation for vineyard is Lavinia. And he just went with it. So it kind of stuck. Although one of my kids correct me now because my older kid's taking um, French class, <laughs> taking French. And, you know, he's like, no, it's Lavinia. I was like, well, I use Lavinia. <laughs> those historical right. mistakes that kind of stuck it's that's those kinds of things happen and you know i think i i admire your approach to it pick one that works for you and right. and just roll with it and if it bothers somebody then i don't know if i worried about everybody that was bothered by something i said frank <laughs> i'd be worried all the time and I'm not trying to say that it doesn't matter. It does, but it's like I can't change what's in your head. So anyway, um, all right. So it looks Mr. Like it Chris, Gibo, Gibo, Mr. Chris, yeah, hundred dollar startup. That's an interesting looking book. I don't think I've read it. It's not. I went to um, to Amazon and it doesn't show that I picked it up before. But that's the kind of book I, I I like reading those types of books. There's always some gem. Frank taught me this. There's always some gem in every book. And Frank reads like a million books a year. So he uh, <laughs> he would know. And he says, you know, some books are just trash except for this one sentence. Just, you know, they're filled with those sentences. So and some books, I, some, yeah, I mean, some books, you know, there's an, actually an audible version of this book. So I'm going to pick it up. Okay. Yeah, for the $100 startup, yeah. Yep. I like I like listen I like audiobooks because uh, I can learn while I'm in the car 
-hmm. I can be doing something else, gardening or moving furniture, moving, putting stuff in boxes, taking stuff out of boxes, all the moving crazy stuff. Talk. Crazy talk. Crazy <laughs> talk. Um, I never moved with kids before. And that's quite an experience. It seems like book coming to life, you know, the book narrating itself. Yes, it, especially it really if the is. author reads their own stuff. It is a, you know, no, no disrespect to voice actors out there, but there's nothing like hearing somebody who wrote the words kind of adding their own color and flourish and emphasis. Grant Cardone yeah, is probably the poster child for this, right? Oh, as is uh, Jordan Belfort, like, um, yeah, you know, like the Wolf of Wall Street. When he says it, like, he, I had, and 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 the way he talks, he talks like a lot. He's from New York and from the same part of New York my mom's family's from. So like, so like, like I have members of my family that sound exactly like Jordan Belfort. They'll be like, ah, you know, profanity. And all <laughs> so. I I'm with you on the voice actors. Um, I like them in the fiction, but I rarely have time to listen yeah. to fiction audio. Uh, mostly I read the hardcovers, but yes, the, and it's, I can't tell you how many times you'll be listening to the author reading the book and they'll get to a spot and say, Hey, yeah, you know, when I wrote this, I was kind of right. thinking about this way, but here's a bonus, you know, it's like this and think- it's all across the board. And it's so cool. It makes it adds value to the audio book, makes it worth the time. And I'm just like Frank, I garden and, you know, I don't travel as much as I used to. I'm about to start traveling. Frank, I'm doing my first in-person event in over two and a half years in wow. October. Yeah. So, which means I have to get well before. October. You have to get well and prove that you're well. And, all <laughs> and that. prove that. Exactly. So, exactly. but it'll happen. Well, cool. Rupesh, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time. And I know because I've been to India that it's a crazy time of day, night, really, over there. Thank you for uh, either getting up early or staying up late with us or whatever you had to do to accommodate us. That's that's very kind. And and I just want to say thank you so much for sharing with our listeners. Pleasure to be here and talk to, to geniuses. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and, and, Andy has a green screen. We'll 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 add two computer generated geniuses behind him. Thank you. Yes, you're good with the graphics. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, and um, we'll let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy, and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.